Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Everybody and welcome back to Axe of Pod. Today we have a very special episode. It's actually my very first interview, and uh, we have Scott Solomon, who is very kind in letting me interview him today because we have kind of a tricky topic to cover: the global wealth tax. And uh, because of his background, he's in a unique position to help me with it. And so, um, let me just give you a little bit about his background before we start. Scott is a retired alumnus from Columbia Mathematics undergrad and grad school. He was a trader on the exotic interest rate options and derivatives desk of JP Morgan, and then reported to the CEO of a structured credit hedge fund. Um, and he's got a passion for politics and economics and he still is engaged in the process and so I'm just really excited for this interview and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So thank you so much and enjoy the show. So welcome back everybody to a very special episode of Axe of Pod because we actually have an esteemed guest today. Oh thanks. Very <laughs> flattering. I know. We I don't think we've ever had an esteemed guest that wow. uh I don't think uh, I've ever been an esteemed guest before. Wow. I mean. But there's uh, a first for everything. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, and like all uh, insane coincidences, it, it, it comes from Twitter. Uh, and it, it, was a, it was one of those, uh, I don't know, chance meetings, but it really worked out because, uh, you know, I guess the hive mind of Twitter brought us together because what I'm sort of, what I've been obsessed with is uh you know the, there's different campaigns going on and we had just uh, done an episode called tax of pod on acts of pod wow where we yeah i don't yeah i don't know if you it's believe me it's uh it's very elementary but uh we had met on a thread about elizabeth warren and he had uh we had talked about the wealth tax and I was very lost when I was doing my research about it. And it just so happens of all the people in the world who could help me understand the wealth tax, I met somebody who understands it. So, uh, well, thank you. Um, but what happened to me uh, a few months ago was sort of a, um, I guess a Eureka moment 
uh, that happened completely by accident um, when I was on, like, uh, like the way we met, I was on Twitter and all these um, right-wing guys were posting, well, you can't have a wealth tax because all these rich guys will have, we'll get to this later, I guess, in the, in the chat, but all these rich guys were, all these uh, right-wing guys were uh, posting, oh, you can't have a wealth tax because all these rich guys would have to liquidate all their assets to pay the wealth tax. And then I just respond, I had the same response every time it <laughs> happened. And then after about the 15th time I responded, something clicked in my head that has uh, transformed the last four months of my life. I'm not sure for the better, <laughs> but it's given me something to obsess over at least. But I think that I think that's the hallmark of a good idea, though, is that it's like I feel like once you get the correct lens for something, or once something slips in place, it's like you can't unknow it. Yeah, I agree. It's like once I it really was when I when I had this like eureka moment, which. Uh, I think uh, it made me, it was like a lens. It was like a lens through which to look at the world and everything just seemed to come into focus. Well, yeah. Whereas it hadn't been focused before. No, I think, okay, yeah, I think this is a great, I think this is a great place to start because um, you, because I was sort of reading where you, where this sort of I guess was incubated for you was that you had read the Piketty book, which I wish I could say I could get through. Uh, not even a million dollars could make me get through it. I, like, <laughs> I've, I read, I read other people's impressions of it, but I do think this is the first time where people started to really understand that, you know, there is a price to be paid for the, that we're starting to pay a price for the the kind of in, income in, uh, inequality that we're experiencing and the rate at which it's growing, but also that there may be solutions um, to this income inequality that if they were to be put into place, that that all of us could really benefit from it. Well, my reaction to the Piketty book was that. Um, when he was talking about the wealth tax, I just thought it was insane because, you know, I just start from reality, which we live, we live under a plutocracy and I don't see why the wealthy who, uh, control all these political operators, why on earth would they direct their, uh, political flunkies to tax them? I mean, like, because they would rather get, uh, you know, middle class and working class uh, schlubs like us to pay 40%, 35% or 40% of our income every year. We have to pay in taxes. And then we have this like little bit of money left over, which is maybe 65 or 60% of our income. And then when we go buy something, we have to pay 8.25% sales tax with that little bit of money we have left over. And then if the government is short of funds, uh, the wealthy will lend, lend the, they'll right, lend right, the right, government right. money. They don't get taxed. They just, uh, the government issues bonds. Most of them are bought by the people with all the wealth. And then they get basically these risk-free uh, 
uh, bond coupons, which are sort of like UBI. They're like universal basic in- income, but only for the rich. Right. Because supposedly the bonds are risk-free. So the rich just, you know, get to store their money in the in these bonds and they get a coupon. Uh, they get coupon payments twice a year from the right. bonds. Right. W- you know, and I think this is like really, I think you make a really good point. And I think like, like, it's kind of like a Mad Men episode because, you know, you have an, like, you have an idea and what we're talking about is trying is a global wealth tax and and you have not right and that one seemed that was Piketty's Piketty's uh proposal was a global wealth tax uh because you know all these rich entities are very transnational and can relocate and do all these things so he had an idea for a global wealth tax but he had no idea there was it was just like it was like the idea was like hey uh you know, Gina, why don't we travel to the Andromeda Galaxy over the weekend and come back on Monday and look around at some of the stars? I mean, we don't have a spaceship that can get us to the Andromeda Galaxy right. in uh, three hours. So Piketty, he has no, there was no mechanism where he would be able to accomplish this wealth tax. So it just seems absurd that this guy who's being touted as this great economist is proposing this thing and it just is impossible. Well, and I think th- that's where I feel like the, the Mad Men pitch comes in because there's a part of it where, you know, if you were, for example, if you were somebody like me, you know, a bleeding heart liberal, it's like, oh, but, you know, if we could just, again, present this case where, you know, this for the betterment of mankind, again, that's not going to make a rich person pay tax. You know, it's like, right? So it's <laughs> right. like you've got, like, you've got to go Don Draper on this idea. How how can you incentivize? How can you make it so that that somebody would profit or that it it would make somebody happy to uh promote a wealth tax that that it would be in somebody's best interest, a powerful somebody that so everybody could be happy. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it, how's the way you could pitch a wealth tax where there would be winners in that scenario so people could not only invest in all of our bleeding heart liberal, but the other people could make money. And I think this is where your eureka moment. And I don't even think, I mean, it would be amazing if somebody could have systematically gone about thinking that. I almost think it's almost, I can't even imagine somebody step-by-step going through a process like that and coming up with the right solution. I mean, I think it has to happen by accident. Like, it's got to be like the discovery of penicillin or... uh, It's it's something that just just hits you like a like a like a like a like a meteor or an or apple falling off of a tree. <laughs> yeah, an apple falls on your head. Or, uh... so, but it, you, but you kind of had a moment, and I do think this is a kind of a workable solution. About oh, I can't say. I think it's it, one. Yeah, it's absolutely. I can't see how it would not work. I mean, it's it's it just would absolutely be easy to get. <laughs> it's, it's uh yeah i agree yeah 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 okay so now if i can defer to your um 
familiarity on the topic. Can you just give like for the audience, not me again, I think we've established how, how very smart I am, but I mean, for the audience, if you could just give us sort of like a foundational, uh, like how is the global account, the state of affairs now, what are we dealing with now different in the past? that we would need to, that we would need to apply these taxes in a global fashion rather than country by country and well i would say um so for a motivating uh let's say the a mo- let's use a, like a term a fancy term i don't know if it's fancy or not say a motivating conundrum so since we're we live we were privileged to be born in the united states and we're american citizens and we're educated And we learned that the United States is the wealthiest country in the world. Uh, Not in terms of per capita GDP. GDP is is the monetary value of all goods and services, finished goods and services uh, produced within the borders of the country every year. But now, so what is that number in the United States? It's, I think, 2018 or 2019. Teen GDP is going to be about 21 Yikes. trillion. So we, so that's a lot. Um, but we hear that a lot. But what you don't hear about is global GDP. Global GDP is 80 trillion. So the U.S. is one quarter of all the world's GDP, but the U.S. only has maybe like, I don't know, five percent of the U.S. That's right. of the world's population. We have one quarter of the GDP. So we're doing pretty well in terms of gross GDP. Now, of course, there are countries so to really measure wealth. They like per capita, like GDP per person. The U.S. is near the top. But, I mean, there are all these sort of uh, there are all these, you know, tax havens like Monaco, where it's just only rich people. Right. It's countries where basically only rich people live there. So their per capita GDP like is Bahrain. higher than the U.S. But in terms of just. Right. gross amount of wealth produced per year the the u.s is, is right. huge i think it's more than all of europe like where combined. we both have our vacation um, houses those countries <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah because we didn't really meet on twitter we met uh hanging that's out right Monica. at the yacht club if i remember correctly <laughs> so, yeah yeah yeah, the, yeah <laughs> so, so um but so the global gdp is 80 trillion but this is what they never, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm an alumnus from Columbia University, and I live across, I'm retired, and I live across the st- directly across the street from Columbia University. And since I'm an alumnus, I sit in on classes a lot, and most of them are econ classes, and they never talk about this. One little fact about GDP is that it doesn't all just... Uh, sublimate into the atmosphere every year it accumulates um so there's there's there is wealth on earth today that was part of the gdp of 1100 bc i mean there are there are uh, egyptian gold funerary masks that were part of the gdp of 1100 bc that still exists on earth so there's still wealth on earth that was produced in 2018, when it was when the GDP global GDP was only, only quote unquote only 76 trillion, there's wealth on Earth from 
uh, the GDP of 2017 when, you know, the GDP was only 75 trillion. All that wealth accumulates. Not all of it, but sure. a big part of it accumulates year to year. Uh, but the only point is that, so the, basically what that means is that there is more wealth on Earth at this precise second than has ever existed in the history of human beings. And tomorrow there'll be a lot more. And in two weeks, there'll probably be a trillion more. It just keeps accumulating. But what we hear in the media all the time is that we can't afford exactly. Anything. We can't. We can't. So what is this contradiction? We can't. There's more wealth than has ever existed, ever. But we can't afford anything. How is that possible? And the way that's possible is all the wealth accumulates to this almost undetectably tiny circle of economic agents, which are. The 0.5% of the wealthy, uh, these big corporations, these big trans, transnational corporations and, you know, foundations like the Gates Foundation, right. et cetera. So, <clears throat> so not only do these guys accumulate all the wealth, that's not good, but sometimes they're willing to lend their governments and the rest of us uh, some of their wealth at interest, right. paying interest, of course. And so not only do they have all the wealth, but uh, their governments and the rest of us, according to Bloomberg, owe them $244 Ooh. trillion. <laughs> so, so then these, these pundits are always saying, well, we, you know, there's $244 trillion of debt. We can't possibly, even though there's more wealth than has ever existed, we can't afford anything because there's $244 trillion debt. The U.S. has a fiscal debt of $21 trillion. So, I think it's over 100% GDP at this point, or maybe at 100%, or maybe just a little below. So, so this seems a little strange, you know? Why is it that there's more wealth than ever before, uh, but we can't afford anything? So, so, I guess if the global wealth tax came along, what, what 10-year-old children will wonder... Uh, 25 years from now is why were these people so stupid that it never occurred to them to tax people who have all the right (laughs) instead of these people making $40,000 a year paying 40% income tax and then with their little bit of money left they got to pay 8.25% sales tax well and here's the other thing is that you know this isn't even really like a conversation about you know, ethical or moral finance that you would have such a small cabal of people that are not voted for or not even known that have such control over huge, um, huge decisions in the the futures of our of 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 our countries and decisions that we can make. I mean, the, like the time has passed for that because we have come to a point now where we have to make huge uh, investments in order to combat climate change. And we cannot rely on the kindness of our patrons to do the right thing because they have shown they are not interested in doing so. So if... Oh, absolutely. I'm sure. I'm, I think there's already research out there, but uh, the fossil fuel industry has supposedly known for decades that uh, all these carbon emissions are having an impact on the environment. 
and that's the thing. I mean, we did uh, we did an episode where essentially the best climate science that we have from the late seventies and early eighties was all funded by Exxon for Exxon because they wanted to <laughs> they wanted to be be known what they might be liable for. So th- so they you're right. right. So they they really put in the money to get this research. Uh, the UN has a fund to uh, start to address trying to reverse climate change, and it's only $10 billion. Oh, and Trump reneged on the $2 billion that the U.S. was supposed to put into the fund, and they've only allocated $5 billion to any projects to try to do something about this. Meanwhile, these countries, these very poor countries in terms of per capita GDP, like India, which is just a ridiculously poor country, and China, which, you know, in aggregate, their GDP is pretty high. But per capita GDP, China is a country that's, you know, on the scale of like Peru in terms of right. poverty. Uh, uh, China, you know, and India, I think they produce 80% of all their energy burning coal. Right. So they're just spewing carbon emissions into the atmosphere. And the UN only has this $10 billion fund to address it. And uh, during the GPS episode, uh, Fareed mentioned this Harvard economist who actually has this, uh, this bad reputation because he made this horrendous mistake once on one of his Excel spreadsheets. And he published this paper that was completely wrong about how they should address uh, the, the um, financial crisis of 2008 by just uh, imposing horrible austerity measures on the population and it turned out like it all his it was all based all his data was based on this just flagrantly horrible excel error and uh his name's ken rogoff and now he's got this new idea he's floating around where there would be a world carbon bank so like all these Poor countries would have to go ridiculously into debt oh, to try to address their carbon emission problems. And, I mean, you know, you, you can see these poor countries are never they're. <coughs> it's very unlikely, I would think, that they're going to just pile on all this debt to address. I, yeah, their seriously. Uh, th- and that's why I feel like, you know, it, they're you know, if you've ever taken um like an intro intro to ethics or philosophy i mean we've been dealing with this problem for 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 a very long time the essential problem is and as you were saying about like accumulated wealth that we were talking about gdp and you know for a very long time the thing that we i guess in polite society the thing that we don't talk about very is that if we have we we currently have enough resources where nobody would have to die of preventable diseases and no no children would have to starve to death like we we could absolutely do that there are not enough resources available and that that there is a part of us that just pretends it's not happening but the the that we are that at this point we are coming to a crisis where we do not have the privilege of living like that anymore because we we can't we we have to address 
climate change and we have to be able to invest in developing countries and help them with their energy concerns because it affects all of us you know that it, there's it's not just your neighbor going down we're all sinking and uh, i mean it's almost an impossible puzzle if you live under a plutocracy a plutocracy is a political order uh that is controlled by the wealthy uh how do you get the how do you get the wealthy to tax them how do you get the political operatives of the wealthy to tax the wealthy it's it's impossible it's an impossible it seems like an impossible exactly and it has been an impossible puzzle i mean this is the year 2019 and uh no one's ever figured out how to get it done well and that's the thing because it's like what you know, I think we've always looked at it from like, well, what would we have to offer them that would tempt them away from the ruling class? Like, we don't own the means of production. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Well, the thing is, yeah, I think what my discovery was, we don't exactly. Have to own the uh, yeah. So there was a whole uh, political movement starting in the mid 19th century, and there are still some vestiges of it today that think. You know, you have to have this global revolution and have a class warfare and seize the means of production. And that just turned out to be a disaster. Right, it didn't work out. It gave you the Soviet (laughs) Union and East Germany and North Korea and communist China under Mao. I mean, that just turned out to be a disaster. Um, And uh, I think they would all, uh, if they found out what the real solution was, they would die of shame. Yeah. But um, the way I found out what the real, uh, what I, what I think is the real solution is, for eleven years I lived with. So when I moved to New York from, uh, I lived in Texas actually, uh, for a while. I lived in Houston for five years. So when I moved to New York and I moved by Columbia University, I discovered things I did not know. So at Columbia, which is, you know, one of the best universities in the world. Never heard of it. No, I met this woman who I ended up living with her for 11 years, and she graduated second in her class from Columbia. And I I didn't know that that actually has a name. It's called the class salad. So you get accepted to Columbia College, which is almost impossible to get into Columbia College. And then here's a woman who grew up in Paris and showed up barely speaking English who completely destroyed every student except one guy uh so we lived together for 11 years and she got a job at this really elite uh wall street law firm named deba voice and and while she was uh while she was at this firm uh she had a client who is a multi 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 billionaire who had been very uh aggressive with tax <laughs> and the so the IRS caught up with him, and you know she, since he, his assets were allocated in various ways, uh, and he didn't want to change his asset allocation, she arranged a very low interest uh, lo- bank loan for him to pay the hundred million dollars in taxes Whoa. he owed the IRS. But since he was worth billions and billions and billions of dollars, it's. Getting a hundred million dollar loan at low interest was Whoa. was was trivial. Was a trivial. Oh my god! But she set this up. But this was you know always stuck in my oh head. Oh my god! Dear Lord, curse so me then with a hundred million dollar tax. I mean, I know. Can you imagine oh having my so god. much money that 
that you haven't been paying, but you haven't been paying taxes for years, and they f finally catch up with you, and you owe 100 million. So all you got to do is get your lawyer Ooh. to go set one a loan up. Let for you that bank, be my you know? troubles, Lord. <laughs> I know. They definitely. Uh, <laughs> They have a different uh, experience of life than, mm. than you and I do. Right. So. So um, because of this, um, you know, so I would be. So now fast forward to like four months ago and I'm staring at Twitter all the time because I'm retired and I have too much time <laughs> on my hands. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren is talking about this wealth tax and all these right wing guys would respond would would give these responses on twitter oh you can't have a wealth tax because all these rich guys will have to liquidate their assets uh to pay the wealth tax so then i responded um you know a guy with a net assets of two billion dollars can easily uh if he doesn't have the cash on hand he can easily get a bank lo low interest bank loan to pay his puny little wealth tax it's absolutely nothing to him to do that. And if he didn't want to get a bank loan, there'd be other ways to do it as well. But, but say he could easily get a bank right. loan to pay the wealth tax. So this happened like 15 times. You know, somebody posts, oh, you can't. Oh, the wealthy guy, you'll have to liquidate his assets. And I'm always giving the same response. Yeah. And then like the 15th time, something just clicked in my head. It was just like a bolt of lightning. It was like, Oh my God. I was like, well, what if you designed the wealth tax so all these guys would pay? Yes. So it's an N percent, like say N is a Nancy percent a year wealth tax. If you don't pay with a loan, say N is 12. So they have to, a billionaire guy has to pay 120 million a year wealth tax if he doesn't pay with a bank loan. But if he pays with a bank loan, he only has to pay N over 3%. So instead of 12%, he pays 4%. So he's only got to pay $40 million. So then, since the guy's going to save $80 million uh, paying with a loan, he'll, the, all these guys will pay with loans. So then if all these guys pay with loans, the banks, the global banking industry, would make an extra trillion dollars a year uh, from this design for the global wealth tax. And that is the most, that would be by far, by far, orders of magnitude, the most profitable event in the history of all of banking would be the institution of this global wealth tax with this design that you pay N percent if you don't pay with a bank loan, but you only have to pay N over 3%. You only have to pay one third the tax amount if you pay with a bank loan. So all these guys will get loans. And the banks will make a trillion dollars a year. I mean, do you think, do you think that the banks would welcome an opportunity to make a trillion dollars a year if they had it? I mean, they would. A banker will feed his children to African crocodiles for a trillion, extra trillion dollars a year. He'll feed his nieces and nephews to African crocodiles. <laughs> There's no question. I mean, I was a banker. Right. And I reported to the CEO of a hedge fund. And I know lots of bankers. And uh, there is nothing they would not do for a trillion dollars. An extra trillion dollars a year. And by the way, the thousand... In 2018, the thousand largest banks in the world, uh, their total profit was one trillion. 
So this would be an event that would generate revenues in the amount of the entire total profits of all the banks in 2018. So this would just A game changer. Be, I mean, bank stocks, bank stocks would triple. You might want to start loading up on bank stocks, actually, because uh, if they double their revenue, uh, the, the stock will go up like three times at least. So, but, you know, people listening to this, I'm, you might want to start thinking about loading up on bank stocks. Well, and the other thing is that because there has been, like you said, there has been no incentive. Like when you do live in a plutocracy, when you have like a, a ruling class and then you have their proxies that are working in the government, because obviously, you know, 30, and this is true, 30% of every representative's week is spent in fundraising for a campaign, even if it's years away. Oh, right. Right. There was a 60 Minutes episode that shows these guys go into this separate room and just start robocalling exactly. their people who have given them money. Right. And so the, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's so humiliating. Right. That's the thing. It's just, so, you know, if they now they can go down and, you know, and talk to every rich person that lives in Calumet, you know, or they know that they can get, you know, a huge percentage of that. Uh, you know, of their campaign knocked out from corporate sponsors. So it, it, they're owned. They're all owned. I mean, like, you know, let's not, it, let's not even pretend anymore. But the thing of it is, is that if. And the thing is, though, of all of those lobbies, the bank, well, this is, so what do you care if you design the wealth tax so the banks make a trillion dollars a year on $18 trillion a year in, in wealth tax revenue? Why do you care if the banks make a trillion? Well, because the bank lobby is the most powerful lobby by far, by far. So all over the world. I mean, uh, so if the banks are going to make that much money, uh, they just direct their, I mean, the, the, it would, the legislation would pass unanimously. I mean, they would just direct their political flunkies to vote for the wealth tax because they're going to make a trillion dollars. And so that's it. That's, you got that wealth tax. It doesn't matter whether you're left wing Middle, center, middle, center, left, center, right, right wing. You just take your marching orders from the bank. That, exactly. Then the tax would pass and that would be and it. The thing of it is, is that, you know, it's like, it's, I, I don't care why they do it as long as they do it. Because the, exactly. and the other thing is, is that the, the point is, is that it to get to get that tax revenue like for every country but you know and globally to be able to infuse it back into the economy it's like high tide lifts all boats oh no question i mean this would be first of all this wealth tax would completely erase poverty we can talk about this in the next oh sure yeah yeah we're devoted to this i mean this wealth tax uh could easily completely erase poverty from the earth within five years completely erase it and uh and it would stimulate so much economic activity frankly the wealthy would probably get i don't i'm not sure the wealth tax would actually reduce inequality because i think it might stimulate so much uh economic activity the wealthy might actually start getting more wealthy uh faster than they've ever gotten wealthy (laughs) before because of all and so it might be that the wealth tax is is sort of like the measles shot that the the wealthy were afraid to get their measles shot. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I think you're sure. I, I I think there is something to be said about that. I I I think that they've, 
you know, sort of been sitting, well, not not to use a Hobbit reference, but I feel like they've been the dragon sitting on a pile of gold and they've gotten, they've gotten a little crabby about it. But I feel like this is, this would be a way to really reinvent reinvigorate markets because here's the thing you can't make money if people don't have money to spend you know and it i it's got it's really gotten to a breaking point and certainly with the added disadvantage of climate crisis which you're talking about mass immigrations and you know it, oh my god yeah and wars wars, wars. Uh, you know people fighting I mean, the, the, the city in india chennai india like three weeks ago it's a city of seven million people uh ran out of water <clears throat> completely ran out of water. Yeah. A city of 7 million people with no water. I mean, can you even, how would you even, how would you get water to 7 million people? I don't, I can't even imagine what kind of a logistics problem that is. And it's because of this climate crisis. Oh yeah. I mean, there's going to be huge humanitarian disasters and you you really are going to have to figure out like who's going to, who's going to pitch in for this. And that's the thing. You're going to have to reallocate resources. You're going to have to do it at some point. You can do it now or you can do it later. And it just makes more sense that we just get down to brass tacks now. And if there's a way you can incentivize it where people actually can, if you, that's the thing. It, it, if you make a sweet, sweet deal to the banking industry, the, you know, it's like it, I think that, that that's what makes it, that's what makes it such a workable idea is that you're not, you're not uh, pl- like pleading to somebody's, you know, better angels here. Like it. it right. You turn, you turn. You turn the question from, hey, should we have a wealth tax, and all the rich people say no, to you transform it into the question, hey, banker, do you want to make an extra exactly. trillion dollars a year? Of course it's going to say yes, and then when the banker says yes, you get the wealth Exactly. I, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't, why there would be some weird misplaced loyalty where they wouldn't take advantage of that opportunity. They, it, they don't care where they get, make their money from, you know. Oh, of course. They already charge these rich guys, you know, hedge fund managers charge them 2% management fees, uh, 20% performance fees. Banks have uh, private client uh, asset management arms where they charge these guys 2% of or 1.5% on their money in their accounts. So the banks are already used to charging rich people giant fees there's no right right so you you guys have felt fairly comfortable so and just um and we'll that's the thing because this this topic i mean it it there's so many applications for it so hopefully that you know maybe in a future episode that we could talk about once these funds are collected how they could be applied but if if you don't mind if i could just just for clarity's sake when we talk about the wealth tax, now most people, when they pay their taxes, it's usually like over the income they've made in that year. But the wealth tax is no. This is on their their net assets, exactly. and it's only for people. I mean, in terms of individuals, I mean, the wealth tax should also be applied to corporations and foundations. But the wealth tax uh, and people who have over thirty million in net assets. Uh, but this would not affect the, from people you and I know, I would not affect. Right. So this is, we're not talking about a guy with a $600,000 house. who's going to have to start paying a 4% wealth. You have to get to become a very wealthy person. Right. 
to have to pay this wealth. Like, these are people with fortunes, like, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Right, and if their fortunes ever drop below, if their net position ever drops below $30 million, then they stop getting taxed. So the worst-case scenario, if they're completely stupid and weren't able to grow their wealth, because these guys grow their wealth every year. So even if you tax them 4% wealth tax, you know, they're still, most of them will still get more rich. If they pay the wealth tax for 30 years, uh, they'll be end up more rich than ever because they grow their wealth faster than that. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, and the other thing that, and we touched on it before, but I just wanted to, just for clarification, is that the reason that this, that we're not doing it country by country is because we have global issues that we need to attract, but also because at this point, there are so many tax havens that if you're going to do this in any sort of practical way, that right, you make it for you make it so there's no exactly. It's like that song by Nina Simone, Sinner Man, where it's like Sinner Man, where are you going to run yeah. to? There's nowhere to <laughs> yeah. run to, you know. And the thing is, um, and the the way you do it is just make it so the banks make more money, ta- uh, providing the wealth tax loans. Then they would make hiding. Yes, that's what I mean. So then the banks won't, they'll just say, oh, and then, you know, since the banks have been hiding the money, the banks would sort of be transformed into a global tax collection agency. And since the banks have been the ones who've been hiding all the money, wealth, they know, the banks know where all the wealth is, and the banks know every trick in the book for hiding the wealth. So there would be, the, the tax would be avoidance impervious. It would be the first tax in human history that would be impossible to avoid. <laughs> no, well, I think that, I mean, come on. That's like the perfect, that's the perfect place yeah, to exactly. end. The, yeah, let's end it there. All right, that's, that's great. Well, I honestly, I really appreciate you being able to, because I do think, like I said, there's, when we're, we're going through such a rough spot now, I it this sort of thing really does make me feel fair, fairly hopeful because I I do think that this is a very practical solution going forward. It ha- I think it's the only solution. There's no other way to get it done. Yeah. There absolutely is no other way that I can imagine to get this done on the scale that it needs exactly. to be done. Exactly. Yeah, I do too. Because we that's the thing. We need those resources. We know where they are. And, and and they need to and this needs to get done so but anyway I just uh, I, I appreciate you going through with this and I I hope it like provides a better understanding of the topic and it I do hope it provides a certain amount of hope too because I mean this is something that can be organized and it can get applied and we just need to you know get your like like roll up your shirt sleeves and and try to get it out there. I do. I think you can. This is something that you can apply pressure on people, and when it starts to make sense, it's like why aren't you holding people to a to higher account? You know, if if this is making sense, then we should ask people to pay what they owe. Like it's so. Again, I just want to thank our special guest, um, and I. This is probably going to be one of a series of two or three podcasts so we just wanted to give you an introduction into what the wealth tax was an overview but then i think that we can in the next few episodes talk about how it can be collected but also in and how it could be applied and and how it could really sort of transform 
the global landscape, what it could do, how it could help, how could it, it could help developing nations and how it can address the climate crisis. And, um, you know, I think it's really exciting and I think it's very practical. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's not a pie in the sky idea. It sort of works within the framework that's already set up. So, and I think it's very practical and I think it's something that can be done very quickly and efficiently and, but it would have a huge impact. So I'm excited to get into um, this topic again and I appreciate you stopping by. Oh, thanks a lot, Jim.